We'll be reading Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 33. Hear now God's word, for God does indeed speak to us through it. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, there are few passages in Scripture that more clearly and more gloriously declare the the love of Christ and the beauty of the gospel more than this passage. And so as we come to this passage that is directed towards husbands, we pray that we might see the beauty of our husband, Jesus Christ, who has pursued after us in love to sanctify us for himself, that we might walk in the fullness of joy that is ours in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the joys of beginning anything new, being part of something new, is the joy of being able to take a step back and think about how, what type of foundation you might want to um, lay for this new thing that you're doing. And as we've over the past year been thinking about um, Zion Church and how we would want to establish it, one of the things that I've been thinking and praying about quite a bit is what uh, the Lord would have us do with respect to women's ministry and how we would minister to our women at Zion. And it's somewhat of a challenge because the pages of Scripture were written well before our established uh, church structures committees and buildings and things like that. But we do see some things directed towards women. I mean, Titus chapter 2 has some clear exhortations that older women ought to be uh, teaching and instructing younger women in how to love their husbands and children and walk in godly, self-controlled ways. We do see exhortations towards uh, widows and single ladies. And as we saw last week, we saw an exhortation to um, wives to submit to their husbands. But I would say that of all the passages that we could consider in Scripture, there's no passage that speaks more clearly to what the church's ministry to women ought to be than this passage before us. That Christ loves wives through the love of their husbands. And if you remember last week, we said that Paul never tries to establish or prove out this headship of the husband over the wife. Um, He assumes it, and he declares it as uh, truth. And in this passage, what we see is 
more of the same, but his, his message is essentially to husbands to say, since you are head over your wife, this is the way that you must exercise that authority. This is the way that you would love your wives. And the way he frames it is by analogy to the Lord Jesus Christ. So as to say that because Christ, as the perfect husband, loves the church, his bride, so also husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And he begins the passage in verse 25 by saying, Husbands, love your wives. And as we said last week with the, when Paul was directly uh, speaking to the wives, that would have been shocking in their particular day. This statement in of itself would be shocking. Um, we said that the, the context was a largely oppressive context towards women. Um, it would have been assumed, I think, if Paul were to write to the men, that he might say, husbands, exercise your authority over your wives, or husbands, control your wives, as is right. But even in Ephesus, which we said was a bit more progressive in their views towards women, for Paul to write, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. That would have been shocking and surprising. Now, love is a fuzzy word for us. and Praise God, he defines it for us. He says, love your wives as Christ loves, loved the church and gave himself up for her. The... Um, he assumes the headship and explains how to exercise it. And he says, as Christ loves the church. Now, often when we have these debates uh, or we talk about husbands' roles and wives' roles, there's often a debate as far as whether the, the Lord has placed a heavier burden on wives than husbands. And as one commentator said, if there was any suspicion that Paul was placing too heavy a burden on wives, this passage dissolves it immediately. Because the pattern, the prescription is the perfect, passionate, persistent love of Christ for his church. So let's talk about that love. Let's, let's talk about what Paul says in this passage. He, he has three key points that he wants to focus on with respect to this love and how it would condition our love as husbands. There's love through self-sacrifice. There's a love with a sanctifying purpose, and there's a love as his own self. So he says, husband loves your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gave himself up for her. It is a self-sacrificing love. In fact, the self-sacrificing love of Christ is the most beautiful and glorious aspect of the gospel message that the Son of God being at the Father's right hand in the blessedness of eternity chose to pursue after his bride, to become like her, to become a servant, to serve her, and willingly gave himself up physically, gave up his life for her because she could not save herself. He laid down his life to save her and to reconcile her to himself. It was self-sacrifice. 
as uh, the hymn that we'll sing right after this says, from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride and with his blood he bought her and for her life he died. He gave himself up for her in every way for her, forever. So there's a self-sacrificing love. But there's also, but this self-sacrificing love has a sanctifying purpose. He says he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. That he might sanctify her. In fact, um, we've seen this throughout the book of Ephesians from the very beginning. This is one of the glorious purposes that God has had for his people from the very beginning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ even as he chose us in him, that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. Holy and blameless. It is a a refrain that God's people would not remain in the state that they were when Christ rescued them, but that he would purify them. He would sanctify them. He would make them fit for his presence. Um. When we talk about sanctification, there's two aspects of it. There's one aspect which we call definitive sanctification, another which we call progressive sanctification. Definitive sanctification means that by faith in Jesus Christ, he sets us apart as holy. He has marked us as holy. And if you remember in Ephesians, one of Paul's favorite terms for believers is saints, which is a translation essentially that means holy ones so in christ we are definitively made holy we are set apart and yet there is an aspect that while we are made holy and fit we are not perfectly holy we still wrestle with sin we still have the stains of our sinful nature and so christ sanctifies us progressively through our life that's the exhortations that we saw in chapter 4 of put off the deeds of darkness, put on the deeds of righteousness, to, be, to come into the light that the deeds of darkness might be exposed, that we might be transformed into his likeness, that we might become imitators of God. This progressive growth in holiness is part of what is promised for us. And when... It says that he came and uh, gave himself up for or to sanctify her. I think both of those things are in view. For the church has been set apart as holy. It is his holy bride. And yet he's also making her holy by his spirit. He is conforming her even to her image. Now, this is probably obvious, but um, the church doesn't determine the end of this sanctification is the Lord Jesus Christ, or rather God the Father, that is determining the end of this sanctification. The end of the sanctification, the goal, the purpose, is godliness. And um, the church also doesn't define what sanctification means or what holiness means. The Lord Jesus Christ is sanctifying her as to become in, uh, imitators of the Heavenly Father. He is taking the model that was given to him and sanctifying her according to that pattern. Now the church participates in that sanctification 
as she submits herself to the Lord Jesus Christ, as his spirit works in her that which is pleasing in his sight. And he conforms her to that image that God has given. And the church doesn't determine the means of sanctification either. Though uh, Our text tells us what that means of sanctification is. It says that um, he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So there's a washing of water with the word. Paul's uh, language here evokes this image of a bridal bath, which we saw a little bit of something similar in that passage that Elder Broom read from Ezekiel chapter 16. Um, the bridal bath was one where the, the bride would be bathed in preparation for her husband to be given. And students, if you remember when we went through the book of Esther and we saw Esther's year-long beauty treatments where she was prepared for her audition before King Xerxes, that's something of like what was in view um, that the Lord Jesus Christ is washing her, his bride, with the word, cleansing her, making her pure. So the image is that the church is unclean, imperfect, needing to be cleansed. But there's also a, a, an image of tenderness that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is washing her. He's cleansing her. He's cleaning those spots and wrinkles. And he's doing this for himself. He says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This uh, where he says to pre present the church to himself in splendor. It's kind, of, it's kind of a weak translation. A better one would be in dazzling beauty. There's a, there's the root of this word is the word glory. Almost as though he's saying that the, the glory that she shares with God himself would radiate out of her. Dazzling, gorgeous beauty. Yeah, it, it's like the, the Lord Jesus Christ looks at the church and he says, with the words of Song of Solomon, he sees her and he says, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. With, you have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. And yet he sees in her, he sees her as she is. And he sees her as she will be. And he is intentional to cleanse her, to purify her, so that it says, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He sees her. He looks at her. He pays attention to her. There's detailed care. There is the right cosmetics. There's time spent. There's tenderness to get down on his hands and to bathe her. As uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, he says, dare, dare I put it like this, the beauty specialist will have put his final touch 
to the church. The massaging will have been so perfect that there will not be a single wrinkle left. She will look young and in the bloom of her youth with color in her cheeks, with her skin perfect, without any spots or wrinkles. And she will remain like that forever and ever. Beloved, that is the love of Christ, the tender love of Christ for his church. Detailed, diligent, careful. And so Christ is the head of the church, but he doesn't exercise his authority to control the church or to dominate the church, but he does exercise his authority to serve her so that she would change into what she is intended to be, so that God's purposes would be worked out in her. This, this holy without blemish is moral, moral and spiritual cleanliness. Obviously, it's not talking about outward beauty, moral and spiritual cleanliness. And he does this by fixing our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and by exhorting us to put off that former life and to put on Christ to, by shining his light so that we see the spots and the wrinkles and that we feel the pain of those things so that we would remove them from our lives. And he does this by the work of the Spirit. Notice, I don't, he, he's doing this by his Spirit. He is, he is praying for his church that she would become holy and blameless, but he's also working it out by his Spirit. He, it is, is through his Word and his Spirit that he's bringing these things about. And he's doing this so that he would bring about this glorious fulfillment of what she will be, is intended to be, but not as she defines it, but as he defines it. True godliness. So he's, he lays down his life to sanctify her, but he also does this as a means of loving himself. It says, um, verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. He says, this mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Christ chose to, dare I say it, love us more by uniting us to himself so that as he loves himself, he loves us. There's nothing, no love stronger, purer, more perfect, more unbreakable, more eternal than the inter-Trinitarian love of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Son has united himself to us. That's what we've been talking about with the union with Christ. We are one with Christ by his spirit. And he has done this so that he would lavish his love on us as himself. And he says that he does this. Um, they nourish, he nourishes and cherishes it. There's a physical nourishing. There's a feeding. There's a caring for physically. But he's also cherishing her emotionally. He speaks tenderly to us. He speaks gently to us. He binds up the brokenhearted. He binds up our wounds. He listens to our prayers. He cares about our tears. And he protects us. He, 
Acts chapter 9, the Lord Jesus Christ said to Paul, who had, or Saul, who had been persecuting the church, he said, why are you persecuting me? He identifies with her so that he might protect her as her own, but he also protects her from herself by sanctifying her. It is a purposeful love for the purpose of making her holy. And husbands, this is the pattern. This is the pattern that you and I have been given for how we ought to love our wives in a way that is how God would have us love them. And by way of application, let's think about those three different things, three different aspects. The first is self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice is the heart of the gospel, and self-sacrifice is the heart of a godly marriage. Husbands, we are called to deny ourselves and live for the benefit of our wives, to lay down our lives for them. Now, we love our wives as Christ loves the church, but not that it needs to be said, but it needs to be said, we are not Christ. Christ himself is the savior of your wife. You will not be her savior. In, in, in chapter 5, verse 23, Paul makes that clear. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Only Christ is the savior of the church. You will not save your wife. And while Christ physically laid down his life for his bride, I think we're called to something that's even more demanding, more pervasive than that. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, therefore in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's the day in and day out laying down your life and denying yourself for your wife. There was a pastor that recounted a conversation between a husband and a wife, and the wife said, Dear, I know that you're willing to die for me. You have told me that many times, but while you were waiting to die, could you just fill in some of the time by helping me dry the dishes? Sometimes we are willing to do the big things, but we're not willing to do the small things. Denying ourselves can take lots of different forms, but it can take the form of sacrificing our comfort to serve our wives, sacrificing our pride, to pursue peace in the midst of an argument. It can sacrifice our focus to listen clearly, to pay attention to our wives, to know them, their aches, their struggles, their pains. It can um, take the form of giving up our ability to use our size and the volume of our voices to force our wives to do things under our power or manipulation and instead pursue gentleness and kindness. We're called to sacrifice ourselves, give ourselves to our wives. But it's, you can't miss this, it's in love. Husbands, love your wives. If we're doing this out of duty, or obligation, we've missed the point. We've missed the point. Your wife is not your master. Your wife is not your master. She is your sister and your bride. She is the one 
that you loved enough to pursue after her and to woo her and to fall in love with her and to choose to spend the rest of your life with her. And this is what a loving relationship means. It means laying down yourself for her in love. Um, Not in obedience, but using your headship to show her true service and true love. And when we do these things, we ought to be doing it for a sanctifying purpose. A sanctifying purpose. Husbands, you have the primary responsibility for leading your wives and your children, but we'll talk about that next week, leading your wives in their growth in grace. And this is not just a matter of knowing God's word, although that is part of it, but right living, obedience, walking in the day in, day out aspects in obedience to God's word, which means that God has put you in a place to work through those spots and wrinkles and any such thing, which means that you must pay attention. You must understand God's word to know what is the pattern of godliness. And you must look at your wives and evaluate. Sometimes it means taking the mirror of God's word up to your wife and showing her those spots and wrinkles and saying, this is out of line with what you are called to do. Um, It means that we since God's word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and instructing, and we are washed with uh, the water of the word, this is, this is what our task is. Teaching our wives what God's word says, what he would have us do. Rebuking when necessary. Correcting and instructing, building them up in righteousness. And I say to you that as you do this, that is how the Lord works sanctification in you. As you understand what is the pattern and you seek to teach and train and build your wife up in this, he builds you up. You, you are called to help her put off the deeds of righteousness, unrighteousness, and put on the deeds of righteousness. And Brothers, you know, part of this, you know, so often when we look, think about sanctification, we think about tearing down bad patterns and putting on good ones. And that's part of it. But there's another aspect of sanctification, and that's understanding who we are in Christ and the the beauty and the blessing that we have. Encouragement of our wives is so foundational. Proverbs 31 teaches us to, to lavish praise on our wives. It says, uh, many women have done excellently, but you, you surpass them all. The, the heart of her husband trusts her, and he praises her. As, as the Lord sanctifies your wives, as the Lord brings blessing, you, it, we have to be encouraging our wives and building them up in these things. Um, and we have to pursue them. And that's, that's an aspect that we, we neglect often. 
The Lord Jesus Christ didn't wait for us to pursue him. He left heaven's throne to pursue after us. And our call is we don't wait until our wives are ready to be sanctified. This is a diligent task that we need to um, engage in. And just like the Lord Jesus Christ prays for us and sanctifies us by his spirit, we have to remember that just as we're not our wives' savior, we're also not the Holy Spirit. We need to rely on God's word. We need to pray for our wives diligently. We need to allow the spirit to work in the hearts of our wives. So we exercise self-sacrifice with a sanctifying purpose, but we also ought to love our wives as ourselves, as it says. Husbands, love your wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself. It's easy to take care of your own body. It's natural for us. Uh, There is a a storyline in the sporting contest that is going to take place this evening that uh, one of the quarterbacks is of it. It has this age-defying physical fitness at the geriatric age of 43 years old. Um, And it's well known that he has taken care of his body in such a way that he can play this violent sport for as many years as he has. And another um, quarterback in the league uh, confessed this year that he spent over $1 million per year to care for his body, to keep it in peak physical shape. And beloved... The Lord Jesus Christ spent even more than that because he, he spent his own precious blood to redeem and sanctify his bride. And he calls us to do the same thing. And the, well, we have to understand, we talked last week about the purpose, the, the, the goal of unity and oneness. And God has joined you together with your wife. She has made you and your wife one so that he might love your wife through you, so that you might love her as yourself and see her as an extension or a a part of yourself that you would care for her as you care for yourself. And we read this and it of course, reminds us of Leviticus 9.18, the second greatest commandment, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But isn't this much stronger? This isn't love your neighbor as yourself. This is because she is part of you. If you are going to love yourself, you must love your wife. No one ever hates himself. He who loves his wife loves himself. And Brothers, this means that you love your wife by nourishing her and cherishing her, loving her emotionally. We have to devoid ourselves from this notion, this cultural notion that men are emotionally absent and unable to meet our wives' needs. We're the ones that are called to love and nourish and cherish our wives. We are the ones that are called to lavish our love on them and to give ourselves to this task. First um, Peter 3 tells husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Understanding way. And, and how can we cherish our wives? 
How can we nourish our wives if we don't understand them, if we don't know them, if we don't take the time to study them? We would study lots of different things. We would know all sorts of different facts. But do we study our wives to know them, to know their hurts, their fears, and how we can minister to them? Part of that understanding is remembering the passage from last week where our wives are commanded to give themselves to us, to submit themselves to us as to the Lord. And we know that part of the reason why that's so hard for our wives is because we're ogres. Or at least we come across as ogres um, often. And, I mean, we know that we're not always intending to come across that way. But it's important for us to listen to the pain of our wives and to see the pain in their eyes, to see how they respond to us so that we might love them in an understanding way. We have to look, we have to listen, and we have to love. And this, God has tied this up so that as you love her, you are benefiting yourself. It is not just for her. You are benefiting yourself. Again, Proverbs 31 says this. He says, an excellent wife who can find, listen to this, she is more, far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Listen to the blessing as she loves and grows in godliness and grows together. She, um, she's more precious than jewels. He has no lack of gain. She does him good. She is a blessing to him. She is a blessing to him. Care for her as you care for yourself. And, but of course, the, the flip side is also true that there is often that she doesn't do him a blessing, that she doesn't do him good. And this is this is a, an aspect of self-sacrifice that I think we fail to acknowledge sometimes, and that is we as men need to be prepared to sacrifice ourselves with steadfastness in the midst of the attacks that we will endure from our wives. Um, remember Genesis chapter 2 tells the beautiful picture of God joining husband and wife together. Genesis 3 tells the fall, and part of that curse to the woman is he says, you, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over her. That language of your desire for your husband d d shows this enmity that will be there. Like you will seek to rule over him. You will not submit to his leadership. And that's, that is the heart of our wives often. Brothers, you know as well as I do that um, often, even though we have been established as the leader of our wives, our wives will often be against us and fight against our, our leadership and assault our character and uh, assault uh, our leading. They will avoid that. They will lash out and seek to manipulate with words or actions, either through things that they say or things that they don't say or things that they do or things that they withhold, like their, their words, physical intimacy, Things that they, a woman can do to try to manipulate her husband in trying to follow her ways. And brothers, in the midst of that, 
We have to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ because we do the same thing to him. But in the midst of our rebellion and our hard hearts towards our husband, Jesus Christ, he doesn't abdicate his authority. And he doesn't accommodate our wishes. He remains steadfast and gentle and loving and kind. And he persists and he draws near and he says, I love you and I'm with you. And I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. So brothers, that's, that's our model. In the midst of the attacks, to respond with gentleness and kindness and love and wisdom and perseverance. And brothers, the other side of it is, if you remember that passage from 1 Corinthians 11, Christ is our head. Even as we are given as head over our wives. We have been put into a place to model submission to our head. Show your wife what it is to submit in the midst of life. Show her. And pray that the Lord would give her eyes to see the model that you set. And pray that you would give her a godly model. So young men um, who are considering marriage or for us men who are already married, would you be a godly husband? The, I think the application is clear. We, we have to grow in our knowledge of God's word to know it, that we might be able to model it, live it, love it to our wives and pray and grow in humility as you walk before her Self-control, self-sacrifice, perseverance, and courage. Being married is not for the faint of heart. It's glorious, and it's terrible, and it's God's pattern for our, our good. And to, to our wives, understand this. Your husband's headship is for your good. And your welfare is tied up into his leadership. And he, I recognize every one of us, every man here, needs to grow in our godliness and our loving leadership. So pray for him. Pray for him because your welfare is tied up in his welfare. Um, and encourage him. This call that husbands have is demanding. When your husband sacrifices himself for you, praise him. Thank him. When he seeks to sanctify you, when he grows in godliness so that he can model that love for you, when he loves you as himself, thank him for it. Grow together in your view of what your marriage ought to be in accordance with God's word. And as we wrap up these passages on marriage. For those of you who are considering getting married, I hope you would come to this conclusion that ladies, that you would determine whether you can rightfully and willingly put yourself under the authority of this man. 
that you are considering marriage. And men, are you willing to lay down your lives for these women to lovingly lead them to Christ and to do this each and every day as you walk together? One of my favorite short stories is the story, The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. And um, it, I love stories that have irony in them. That's why. Um, and this tells the story of a young couple who are poor, but they love each other very deeply. And they don't have much in the way of possessions, but they do have two things that are of value to them. One is um, the, the husband's got this gold chain that he had gotten from his father, and the wife has beautiful long hair. And the wife desires so much, it's coming close to Christmas, and she so much desires, wants to give a gift to her husband to show her him how much she loves him. And she uh, doesn't have much money, but she finds this beautiful gold chain that would be perfect for his watch. And the only way that she can pay for it is by cutting off her hair and selling her hair. And she does that, and she buys the chain. She is so excited to see the look on his face when she gives him this gift. And when he comes home, he looks at her, and he has a distressed look on his face. But he reaches out of his coat, and he hands her a package, and it is a gift. And the gift is these beautiful combs for her hair that she had been wanting for so long. And as she goes to give him the chain, she comes to find out that he had sold his, chain, his watch to buy her the combs, and she had sold her hair to buy him the chain. And brothers and sisters, that is a beautiful picture of the prescription for husbands and wives. A wife submitting herself, giving herself her most valuable treasure to her husband to pursue the, the unity and love that can only come through that. And husbands giving them very, the very selves day in and day out for their wives. Submission and love, two, two sides to this glorious coin that pursues unity and intimacy and love and blessing and glory. And brothers and sisters, that is what our Savior has done for you and for me and that is what he calls us to, that we might reflect that glory even in the midst of our homes. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your boundless love for us. And we pray that um, you might allow us to feast ourselves on the love of Christ that is ours and that you would let that truth transform our lives that we might give you glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.